Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I am undone, uh, as I hope you are, uh, this morning. Uh, this time of worship has been sweet. Um, I, hope you, I hope you've considered the, the things we said and sang uh, during those songs. I, I hope you've considered that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. I hope you've considered that no power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck you from his hand. We're going to spend some time today in Luke chapter 7, so I want you to be turning there in your Bible. We're going to see a a story of of a woman uh, who will be an unlikely role model for us. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to see this example of one that will be uh, someone we should emulate, and it's going to be unexpected. Uh, Dwayne has been teaching for the last several weeks from Isaiah chapter 6, um, and we saw Isaiah uh, encounter God and encounter his holiness um, in a powerful way, and we saw his response And today we're going to look at a story in the New Testament where there there are some parallels. Um, We're going to see a a woman who encounters Jesus, who who has encountered Jesus. Um, But but we're going to see her uh, her response and her worship. And it's going to be an opportunity for us to to look at that and say, is that that how we're doing it? Um, So I want you to pray with me this morning and then we're we're going to read this passage. Father God, I am overwhelmed by your goodness to one like me. That in spite of my many sins, that you have chosen to love me. Um, God, I pray that this morning, that, that, that your mercy and your compassion would be clear. Um, That you would help us see our many sins and not stop there and go to the cross and find forgiveness and that it would produce in us this morning a worship that is unlike any we've ever experienced. God, I pray that you would use me in spite of me this morning, Um, that that the people in this room would hear you and not me. God, I don't want to be heard. But God, I desperately long for your word to be heard this morning. And so I ask that you would use me and that you would bring glory to yourself. We pray in the name of Jesus, who's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be in verse 36. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. I want you to, as we, as we look at this passage, I, I really want you to see this woman. I want you to I want you to grip the, the the drama of this of this story, okay? I want you to 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 imagine it, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it quite a bit. So, um, but as we read, we're going down through verse fifty. So there's a good passage there. But but just imagine this and and and, and just picture it in your mind. Verse thirty six. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table, and behold. A woman of the city who was a sinner. 
when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one he owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is an amazing, amazing story. Um, Luke sets this picture for us very quickly. Okay, uh, Jesus is invited to the home of one of the Pharisees. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees and Jesus, you know these are not friends. They, they, they are not often seen together. The only other example we have of a Pharisee coming to a one-on-one encounter with Jesus is Nicodemus. He comes under the cover of night, scared of the retribution that would more likely be uh, his, if he were seen with this this radical named Jesus. Uh, just a couple of chapters before this, if you flip back in Luke 6, verse 11, after Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, the Bible says that the Pharisees, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus and the Pharisees did not, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't palling around together. Okay, so it's unusual. There's this there's this tension from the outset that this Pharisee is going to ask Jesus into his home. Um, and, and and we don't really know too much about what Simon's motives are. Uh, but but later we'll see he, he kind of skips some common courtesies to Jesus. Um, we'll see he, he doesn't extend normal greetings, normal customary just courtesies that you would to a guest in your home. Okay, and and from that, we can we can kind of wonder that maybe Simon's motives weren't all that pure. He's not necessarily inviting Jesus into his home for a meal so he can he can encounter who Jesus is. He's probably more looking to size Jesus up, maybe to set a trap for him, maybe maybe to to trip him up or find some new thing to accuse him of. What he doesn't realize is that he's the one who the trap has been set for. He's the one who's going to be accused uh, but but he, he shows no no courtesy. You start to get this picture of this tension developing. Um, this dinner party wouldn't have involved a, a table, really. Um, if, if there were a table, it would be a very low table. Um, they, they would, they would lie, there wouldn't be chairs. They'd sit on the, on the ground around the, 
the, the food. Um, it, it, it's, it's not unlike the, the culture that, that some of us have had an opportunity to experience in Africa, and, and, and Dwayne and, and Judy and Nanette are, are probably experiencing right now, where there would be a group of people around a, a common plate, maybe with reclining on their elbow, with their feet out kind of in a, in a circle, like spokes on a wheel, and that they would lie there and recline and eat and, 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 and talk and discuss uh, these dinner parties like this, especially if it involved kind of a prominent rabbi, a lot of times they would, they would be almost like a public, a semi-public affair. There, there would be the invited guests, but, that, but then there would be others who would come and kind of stand in the perimeter, in the darkness, in the periphery of the room, just kind of taking in the conversation, particularly one like this where, where there, would, there would probably be theological discussions and, 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 and talk of the things of God. And so, so people would come. They, they, weren't, they weren't a part of the meal. They weren't going to participate, but they were going to be on the edge, kind of seen and not heard, just, just kind of taking it in. Okay, that, that's, that's kind of where this, this woman would fit into this. Uh, this is this group of the, the cultural elite, the religious elite, and then there's Jesus, this, this rebel, this, this, this kind of unusual prophet, this one that, that has performed amazing miracles, the one who teaches in a way that, that none of them had ever really experienced. And he's in this group with these cultural elite, and, and he, but he's not treated as an equal, okay? And, and he's probably not there for the best of motives from their perspective, but there he is, and there's probably people around the room, and there's tension. You can sense it. You can, you can almost feel it. Because they all know the history of Jesus and these Pharisees, and that, and that he's he's attacking their their structure, their their whole way of life, and here he is in this room with all of them. Uh, it, it would have been a, a tense moment, and, and everybody's sort of expecting some confrontation. But what what's going to happen is not what any of them would expect. The next the next event would be somewhat scandalous. Verse 37, and behold, behold, it's like the, the, Luke is telling us, and, and, and guess what happens now? Um, it, it's shocking. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, now, the Bible never really tells us specifically what this woman's sin is, but all the commentaries I read and all the stuff I studied, everyone kind of agrees that the the implication is that this woman is a prostitute. She has a reputation. Okay? It's not a good one. Her life is defined by her sin. Um, it, it's who she is. Uh, her life has been characterized by this lifestyle of sin. But as we're going to see in a second, she has found something new that defines her. She is no longer defined by her sin. She has found something entirely different, and it completely changes her, and we're getting ready to see what happens to her because of it. The Bible says that she got ready to go to this Pharisee's house. It says, verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment. We're going to look at this woman as sort of an example for us 
of, of how we should live and how we should worship. And one of the first things I want you to see is that she, it took courage for her to even go to this place. I mean, the, if, if you think Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get along, prostitutes and the Pharisees, not any better. Okay? Jesus, uh, this, this woman would not have been welcomed into this home. Okay? As we're going to see in a minute, the Pharisees have a very low opinion of her. Okay? And, and, and it's going to come out. But, but she would have known that. It's not like she was surprised by the reaction of the Pharisees to her. She knows what, what their opinion of her is. She knows her place. She knows her place in society. Okay? She knows she is a sinner. And that the Pharisees don't deal, don't, don't associate with that. She knows that. But, but she's going to Jesus. Nothing is going to stop her. She takes great risk to even enter this house. But nothing is going to get in the way of her going to worship her Jesus. And, and I wonder sometimes what we let get in the way of worshiping Jesus. It's hard for us to kind of grasp, grasp this in, in our world today. I mean, it, it's not, it, it doesn't cost us a lot to come here this morning. It, it's, it's not risky for most of us. There are places in the world where it is, even today, it was risky for this woman to worship Jesus. But nothing was going to stop her. Second thing I want you to notice is that she's prepared. It says she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Um, she's going to worship Jesus, and she has taken time to get ready. And, and I couldn't help but think, well, how do I, am I getting ready to worship? And if you're like me, your preparation for being here this morning probably involves like 25 minutes worth of conjoling and arguing and and. and twisting arms to get somebody dressed and get somebody in the car and then it's followed by you know a car ride where you break half a dozen traffic laws um and kind of peel in here on two wheels and and then and then wrestle people out of the car and then rush them into their sunday school class like hold it let, let somebody grab them and hold them down as they're screaming as you walk away and then, and then maybe hopefully kind of settle into your seat in sunday school with a cup of coffee and, and just kind of zone out as you decompress and, and maybe be ready to, to enter into this room where the living God wants to meet with us. Um, this woman prepared. And it's a lesson for us. Um, I, I mean, I realize I, I live in reality. I've got four kids. I know what it's like. All right? But this is a lesson for us. She, as we get to the end of this, you're going you're gonna to think, I want to be like this woman. Because I do. I mean, after studying this, and I want to be this lady. I want to have her passion. And one of the things that is, is part of how she gets there is that she's prepared. And don't, don't miss this preparation, okay? She, she, this alabaster flask is, is just packed with symbolism and, and meaning. This would have been a, like a small little uh, glass vial. Have a long, narrow neck, um, and it would be filled with a very expensive perfume or, or ointment. And the only way to get it out would be to break the the neck. Um, so you didn't do that much because then it, it breaks and you, you lose it all. You know, it wasn't really where you could use a little bit of it at a time. Okay, so so it's this it's this small little vial, the long, narrow neck, filled with this expensive perfume or, or ointment and often women would, would wear them around their necks almost like a piece of jewelry 
because um, it was like their their in, in a lot of ways it was their prized possession. It was it was and and it and then it would it would kind of envelop them with this fragrance, this aroma that was it was nice, it was pleasing. Um, we, we saw this kind of in Africa. There were women would wear these necklaces with coins uh, around their necks, and it was like it was their it was their savings. It was their life savings. They wore it around their neck. I mean, there wasn't a bank. It's just what they had. They, they just wore this necklace around with the with the coins, and and if things got times got tough or they needed something, they would sell one of the coins. This this woman probably would wear this flask around her neck, and it would give the, give off this this aroma, and it would, it would be attractive. Now, now think for a second about what this woman has in the world she lives and in the culture she lives in. What what power does she possess? What 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 does she have to offer? And in in her line of work, in her livelihood, in what she did, her ability to attract a man would have been the one thing that she really had that exercised power. Um, this aroma would have been attractive. It would have been part of what made her living. And she's getting ready to come and, and break it, pour it out on the feet of Jesus. Um, it's costly. Okay, That's what I want you to see about, about her worship, that she came prepared, um, that, that what she did was, was costly. Her worship was, it was costly. It cost something. And nothing was going to get in her way of doing it. Um, you know, it, and, and as, I, as I studied this, I couldn't help but think about how, how similar this might be to, to maybe James and John. They left their nets. It was, what, it was their life before. Okay? It, was the only, it was what they knew. It was their livelihood. It was what they were before they met Jesus. And they just left it there, and they went with Jesus. Matthew, Jesus calls him. He's sitting in his tax booth, good living, earning money. And he leaves it, and he follows Jesus. This woman, she, she had her life. Now, granted, it was filled with ridicule and shame, but it was her life. And, and part of it was this alabaster flask. It was what she had. She's going to empty it out on the feet of Jesus, on those feet that will in a few months be pierced for her sins. Um, she, she's lavish in her worship, and, and it's costly. Um, she's laying down her old life. And, and trusting Jesus with a new life, and that would not have been easy for her. I, I, just think about the temptation to dwell on the uncertainties that she must have faced. What, what's her life going to be like now? Um, we're going to talk about that more in a minute, but, but think about that. Notice what happens as she's doing this, okay? Um, standing behind him, verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This, this isn't a, a, she's not got like a single little tear streaming down her cheek. This, she loses it. She is undone. She is broken, just like that flask. Um, her heart is pouring out. She starts to, she, she notices Jesus' feet. Jesus is going to point this out later to Simon, but, but she's standing there. She comes out from the, from the dark periphery of the room, 
And, and she's standing there looking at his feet, and, and she probably notices that they're dirty. I mean, at this, this time, people didn't, there, there weren't cars. They walked everywhere. And they didn't have shoes. They wore open sandals. And the road was dirt. And the road was traveled by not only the people, but the animals and the livestock. Are you getting the picture? I mean, some of you think you have stinky feet. You, don't, you can't imagine the nastiness of their feet. And who wants to sit around a table with that kind of nastiness while you eat, right? And she, she comes over and she's standing there and she starts to cry. And, and, and the, 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 the lack of even common courtesy to her Savior it just kind of overwhelms her. And, and she's, her tears, there are so many, they start, to, they start to make a puddle around his feet. And they're pouring out. And, and, and her, her, the, the, the dirt on his feet, she probably notices, is starting to turn to mud from her tears. And, and there's no towel to wipe them. And so she lets her hair down. And the tears, many, many tears, not just a, a little stream of a, a trickle, not a whimper. She's sobbing, overwhelmed. They wet his feet. She lets her hair down and she starts to wipe them. Now let's just let's put aside the fact that she's, she's now wiping off this filthy nastiness from his feet, dirt and who knows what else from these animals up and down. And it's all turned to kind of this muddy thing. And now she's going to wipe it off with her hair. Okay? But let's put that aside. For a woman at this time to let her hair down, that was, that was not done. Women would not go out in public with their hair down. In fact, some of the stuff I read talked about there being writings from Jewish rabbis at this time that would say that a woman letting her hair down in the presence of another man was grounds for divorce. So what she's doing is kind of scandalous. And they would have all been like, <gasps> she didn't. But she doesn't care. She, she is completely unconcerned. Um, can, you, can you see her? This, this woman who everyone knows about, who, who, whose reputation precedes her and not, not in a good way. Can you see her there stepping out from the shadows of this room? Sobbing and letting her hair down and wiping the dirt off of the feet of her Savior and, and, and covering it with this, this ointment. Um, this, is her, this is her woe is me moment like Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6. She's, she's undone. Um, and I don't think these are tears of, of... They're tears that are coming from from her joy in the, the redemption she has experienced. Because we're going to see what she's doing here is not, it, it's a result of her forgiveness. That's going to be very important in a minute. What's happening here is the result of an encounter with Jesus. I don't think this is the first time she's ever met Jesus. Okay? And he's, I, he's, going to, he's going to say some things later that really, I think, help us be sure of that. But I don't think this is her first encounter with Jesus. She's been changed. And this is the result of it. She's prepared. Nothing is going to stop her from worshiping. She goes at great cost 
potentially to her life and worships in a way that costs her greatly. She worships with emotion. And, and the last thing I want you to notice about her, she is completely unconcerned with the other people in the room. I mean, this is not acceptable behavior for this woman. Not in any way. Okay? She understood, though, that, 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 that this was not a time for dignity. Worship is, is reverent, yes, but it is not necessarily dignified. David understood that. When, when, when David uh, was worshiping God, when, when they brought the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, he's worshiping, he's dancing. And, and the Bible says he takes off his outer garment, and he's basically like worshiping and dancing around in his undershirt. And his wife kind of chastises him for it. She says, how the king honored himself today. And this is what David says, Second Samuel six twenty two. He says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. Some translations say, I will be even more undignified than this. Worship is reverent. It is not necessarily dignified. This woman is pouring out her heart with everything she's got. Um, Jesus has told us that we should worship in spirit and in truth, and this woman gets it right. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we? Do we? As we sing, are we worshiping like this woman? Does it affect us? Do we worship with our hearts? Are we prepared? Are we worshiping in the way this woman does? Is, don't you want to? Don't you want to be like her? Don't you want to feel that passion? Don't you want it to be something other than just a, another thing you check off your box? We're going to talk about that in a minute, about how, how she... How she does this. First, next, I want you to see the Pharisee. We don't know the woman's name. We know the Pharisee's name. Never tells us the name of the woman. Okay? This woman that we're going to pattern ourselves after. We don't even know what her name is. Um, the Pharisee, we know his name. His name's Simon. Uh, imagine what he's feeling like. Here he has, he's thrown this kind of elaborate dinner party, invited all these dignified guests, and then here comes this prostitute, this notorious sinner, crashes the party, makes a big scene, bawling over Jesus, lets her hair down, what are the other Pharisees going to think? I mean, he's got to be kind of like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. And so he thinks to himself, he says, uh, verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. First of all, he sort of questions whether Jesus is really a prophet. Now, Jesus never said he was a prophet. He's, the, he's, he's much more than that. He's God. Okay, but he's kind of questioning whether he's real. He's like, if this guy's really what he says he is, he, he ought to know who this woman is. I mean, come on, seriously? This is, a, this is a well-known sinner, and not just a little bit of sin, many sins. Her lifestyle, I mean, that's, that's, her, that's what defines her, her sin. He ought to know that. And then, notice what else he's, he's very concerned with. That, oh my gosh, she's touching him. It's a big deal to these Pharisees. Because the, the, way, the way their whole system was set up, it was about staying clean. Okay? It was all about, about maintaining this, this cleanliness, this separateness. Okay? And, and he viewed himself as clean. Okay? That's going to be very important. He thinks he's clean. Okay? And so if something unclean touches him, he suddenly becomes unclean. That was, that was a big part of their whole system. You've got to stay clean by don't getting around the unclean. 
Well, they miss two important things. Number one, they're not clean to start with. Neither are you and I. And we, we need to be careful. The, the, as much as we're going to have to read this and try to be like this woman, we also need to read it and, and, and run from being like Simon. And one of the things Simon misses is that he thinks he's clean and that he's at risk of becoming unclean. He's totally got it wrong. He is, he is already unclean. What he misses is that he is desperately in need of something to cleanse him. Okay? The second thing he misses, and they do this over and over again in, in throughout the gospel, they, they think that, that when, when Jesus comes across one of these uncleanly people, that he's going to become unclean. Well, instead, what happens is Jesus transfers his cleanse, cleanliness to them. When, he, when, when this woman, when he touches he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. Um, that's, that's our hope. It's a hope for you. And it's the hope for me that he makes us clean. Um, and so we need to ask ourselves, uh, are, we, are we at risk of being like Simon? He was very religious. Don't miss that. He was very religious. He, he did a good job of being a Jew. He would have been very faithful in his church attendance, very faithful in his obedience to the laws and the rules, very faithful in his giving. He was trusting, though, in things that he did. We need to be careful. Are we trusting in our church attendance? Are we trusting in our baptism? Are we trusting in our tithing? Are we trusting in a prayer that we said? Are we trusting in a date we wrote in the Bible? Are we trusting in things that we do? Our only hope is trust in the one who did. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus and his sufficient work on the cross can we trust. And that's what this woman understood. That her only hope was Jesus. Simon didn't see himself as needing a savior. And that's a, that's a, very, that's a very dangerous place to be. I hope none of you are there. I hope none of you are sitting there and, and don't recognize your desperate need of a savior. And it doesn't stop once you accept Jesus. You continue to be desperately in need of a Savior. I mean, you, you just are always in need of one to save you. Um, all right, so, and Jesus is going to talk to him. I, I love this. I mean, did Simon say anything? He, he doesn't, does he? It says, now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, he's, he's just thinking it. Now, Jesus is going to answer him. If you're, if you're in, a, in a dinner party and somebody starts answering questions you're posing in your mind, look out. Okay? This is not some average Joe. This guy's reading his mind and going to, he's, going to, he's going to call him out on these thoughts he has. So he does. He tells the story of two debtors. Uh, one of them owes 500 the other owes 50. It'd be equivalent of a day's wage. So one guy owes like two years worth of wages and another guy owes two months worth. But the key is verse 42. When they could not pay, when they could not pay, neither one of them has the ability to pay the debt back. I mean, whether they're 49 short or 599 short, it really makes no difference, does it? They can't, they, they don't have the ability to pay the debt back. They are, they are completely at the mercy of the moneylender, okay? 
they don't they can't pay it back. It doesn't matter if they're a little bit short or a whole lot short. If you can't pay, you can't pay. They're hopeless. They're helpless. Christ has regarded my helpless estate. Do you see yourself that way? That's how he's describing these two people. They're both helpless. They don't have anything to offer. They owe a debt they can't pay. And the next, the next part is, shockingly, the money lender cancels the debt. I mean, some of you work at banks, right? Um, do banks often just cancel debts? No. Charlie's like over here. Mm-mm. Now, now, contrary to, to like recent events in our government where debts just get kind of... Let's just disregard that, okay? A moneylender that just suddenly says, okay, no more debt. That's not the normal moneylender. And these people would have known that. That didn't happen. So Jesus is ter- telling this parable, and, and, and this moneylender is like no other moneylender they've ever encountered. Okay, but it's Jesus. He's like nobody else. He is not like any other God that you've ever encountered. He's a moneylender that, that cancels debts. So it's a pretty simple story, isn't it? And, and Simon's almost um, offended by how simple it is. When Jesus says, which one's going to love him more? Simon says, well, I suppose, almost like, gee, why don't you lob me up a softball here? It's obvious. The, the one that's going to love him more is the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus says, yeah, you, you've, you figured it out. Hurrah, good job. Um, but but he, he still doesn't quite get it. And then Jesus, he turns to the woman, verse 44. Okay? Um, he, he, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? Because the implication is he didn't. Simon didn't see this woman. He saw her sin. He saw the potential for her sin to, to somehow defile him. But he didn't see her. She's not a person. She's a sinner. He says, do you see her? He says, You've, I came into your house. You didn't offer me like even common courtesy. Now, it would have been normal to, to offer a servant to wash the feet or, or at the very least to give them a, a bowl of water to do it themselves. Okay, he doesn't get that. And, and then he says, he says you, you, didn't, um, you offered me no kiss. Like you didn't even give me a hello, like a, hey, glad, to, glad you came over handshake. You just kind of ignored me. This woman, she hasn't stopped kissing my stinking nasty feet. She says, you don't, you don't get it, Simon. You didn't anoint my head with oil. That would have been kind of customary. They've been traveling, like here, freshen up a little bit. She's poured out this expensive ointment on my feet. And then, and then he really hammers it home here in verse 47. This is the part I want us to see. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, we've got to be careful there, okay? Because if you just read that, you could get the impression that the reason her sins are forgiven is because of what she's done. But that's not the case. Okay? Because if you read the next verse, he who is forgiven little loves little. The, the love that she expresses, the love that she displays, is a result of the forgiveness the forgiveness is not caused by the love. It's the other way around. The love is caused by the forgiveness. She experienced that. And, and the thing I, I hope that we, we notice here, um, and that she understood, she, she understood her many sins. Simon doesn't, doesn't have any room in his 
mind for considering his sins. He thinks he's doing pretty good. He has not considered his sins. She has. She has. She has considered her many sins. And, and, and when she examines herself, she sees this heart that was filled with darkness and evil. But she doesn't stop there. See, if we stop there, it's just all guilt and pain and regret. Okay? She doesn't stop there. She, she goes on to the cross, and she sees the hope that there is in Jesus. And suddenly, in, in the lens of the dark heart that she had, in the lens of her many sins, the cross becomes wondrous. When she considers her many sins, then she can survey the wondrous cross. It's hard to do that otherwise. You can't, you, can't, you can't consider the glory of the cross without the weightiness of our sin. And that's what she got. She understood. And it's not just like a one-time thing. It's not just like this happens to people at conversion. You know, when we were, our Sunday school class kind of went through some parallel stuff with the sermons Dwayne did on, uh, on Isaiah chapter 6. And we, we studied one week Psalm 51 where David is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. And, and he cries out with this passionate plea of, of forgiveness and, and mercy. And he says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. That wasn't like the first time he'd encountered God. He had been a man after God's own heart for decades. And yet we see this broken, contrite, repentant heart. Um, we cannot bask in the glory of the cross without considering our sins. We can't just stop there. We can't just consider our sins and, and, and just dwell on them. But unless you consider them, the cross loses its its glory. You're no longer in need of a savior. That's where Simon was. He had no no concept of his need for a savior. And yet he was desperate in need of one. This woman, she understood it. And it's where the, the emotion springs from. Last thing I want you to see about this woman is as she leaves. Uh, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then he said, uh, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? But the, the, the stuff I read said that the way that wording is there, where he says, go in peace, we don't have a, a similar kind of way to say that in English, but it's, it's like he says, go, and as you go, keep on going in peace. It's this continual tense thing. I don't. But but it's it's the idea that she's going to go and she's going to keep on going in peace. Now now think about what she could expect from the world she is in. Okay. Not only does she have this reputation as a notorious sinner, now she's associating with this rebellious kind of radical leader. And and she's kind of made a a big scene at this prominent Pharisee's house. Do you think that she expects peace as she, from the world she lives in as she walks out of that house? I'm kind of thinking no. I'm kind of thinking she can expect anything but peace from the world she lives in. Don't you? And yet Jesus is saying, go, and as you go, keep on going in peace because of the forgiveness that you've experienced. 
All of us need to be like that sinful woman today. We, we all desperately are in need of a Savior. Um, and we need to embrace what he can offer in forgiveness and, and allow it to affect us and change us. And then as we do, we will go and keep on going in peace. David's going to come up uh, and sing in just a moment. The song he's going to sing is, is titled, All I Have is Christ. I, I desperately hope that, that you can say that today. And it's not, it, and it goes on and it says, it says, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Not, well, I guess at least I've still got Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. As, as we sing, if you, if you know Jesus today, Consider your many sins, both before conversion and since then. Don't stop there, though. Linger there, but don't stop there. Okay? Consider the weight of your many sins. And then survey the wondrous cross where your Savior died to pay the price that we could not pay. We're those debtors completely without an ability to pay our debt. And then allow that meditation of your many sins and the wondrous cross to stir in you a worship that, that is passionate, that is powerful. Some of us are like Simon today. We have never considered our sins. If you have not considered your many sins. If you are like Simon and see yourself as with no need of a Savior, I hope that God pricks your heart today. I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and shows you your desperate need of a Savior and then run to Him and fall at His feet and let Him give you that joy this woman had. Let's pray together. Father God, thank You for this story. Thank You for, thank you for Luke for writing it. Thank you for this woman. Um, thank you that, that we can look to this notorious sinner and, and find an example. Um, God, help us to be like her. Help us to worship you from a heart that, that just overflows with the grace that you have given us, God. Oh, God, that we would, that we would be affected by our many sins. God, I thank you that, that you have loved me in spite of my many sins. God, I am so undeserving of your goodness. There is no reason for you to be good to me, but you do, and, and I owe you my life. I pray that that would be the, the cry of our hearts this morning as we sing this song, as we say, all I have is Christ. As we say, Jesus is my life. As we say, Father, take this ransomed heart you bought with a price. Take this ransomed heart and use it any way that you choose. God, let us sing those words and let them be real. Use these people in this room to advance your kingdom. Change us, God, that our hearts would be drawn to you and passionate for you. And that things in this town, this community, this world would be different because of you and the change you've brought in our lives. God, thank you. Do your work in Jesus' name.